go ahead and get started. So welcome everyone to this week's edition of the Commercial Real Estate 101 Meetup Group. Uh, we started this group back in uh, April of 2020, uh, just really to be the go-to resource for all things commercial real estate. And since then, we've been able to do a lot of virtual meetups and had a lot of people from all across the country tune in, which has been awesome. Uh, today, we actually have a phenomenal guest, uh, Ben, who is a commercial appraiser. Uh, if, I'm, correct me if I'm mistaken, but in New York. Uh, and New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, and New Jersey. Yeah. yeah. So really, you're, you're, you're focused in those areas. But right. I, I thought it would be awesome to you know, have, have, have you come on and talk a little bit about the commercial appraisal process, because it's an integral part of all commercial transactions. And as we were talking about before this, even, even outside of commercial transactions, that commercial appraisals can come into play. So welcome to the right. Okay, thanks so much for having me. It definitely is a good idea to have an appraiser. It's a diff it's a unique, you know, not everyone, it's a unique uh, position. Um, like you were saying, it's very important in the transaction because if you have a property for sale for 50 million, let's say for example, and you need, you know, you need your loan to value, you know, ratio, you need your value to come in. Um, the appraiser really holds the key, you know, yeah. to, to the transaction. Of course we can't, we have to, we can't be biased and we have to, you know, give an impartial opinion of value, but it definitely is important. Oh, for sure. No. Yeah. And, and I think, I think we'll dive a little bit more into the actual nuts and bolts of the process as we go through this, this uh, meetup. But uh, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, like what got you into commercial appraisal really? Yeah. So I grew up in uh, Brooklyn, New York. And um, I think it's actually a, a lot of appraisers that I meet, they say that the same thing that they're, they have family in the business, you know? So my father actually, started a company in 1991 he started um a commercial appraisal company so but he's licensed commercial and as we'll see there's a difference between commercial and residential so he was licensed commercial but don is saying he's also from brooklyn um so yeah he was licensed commercial meaning he was able to complete a commercial appraisal however as you'll see later he didn't, uh, he wasn't so tech savvy. So he did the residential, uh, the basically commercial is like a 50 to 150 page report. And you have to put in grids and graphs and the residential appraisal report is more on a form. You basically just punch uh, things in. So um, he mainly did the forms, therefore his clients, for, let, let's say lending institutions and banks were mainly residential. So uh, when I, well, yeah, so five, six years ago when I was entering the workforce, he told me I should go for commercial because residential was, you know, definitely less pay um, and commercial, it's much more, you know, you could get, uh, you know, larger buildings and the fee would be much more, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's a great field to get into in general, just because I feel like there isn't as many on that side of the transaction. I know we, we've had a big shortage of commercial appraisals here in, in Kentucky. Uh, Louisville is where we're, we're headed at. And I mean, we're multiple weeks out for commercial appraisals. And that's generally the sticking point of the transaction as far as the due diligence time frame. So uh, I think it's a smart idea to get into commercial, uh, commercial appraisal um, just for that reason alone. I mean, there's just a lot less competition and you do get to work on some bigger projects with bigger price tags, which is right. kind of a lot more fun as well. Also, it's a lot more fun, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I know many companies in New Jersey are struggling as well to find, employees for the appraisal uh for their business um i'm wondering if the i don't know why why it's like that why people are not entering it i'm wondering if um 
I'm wondering if like for residential, for sure, the fees are like dropping, you know, and commercial, maybe it takes a long time until you understand the whole appraisal process. So it's like a year or two until you get a license, actually. Um, you have to train by somebody and it's two and a half years. Between two and, a half, two and a half years, I'm not sure if they changed it since I did it. And you have to take 12 courses and you have to have a bachelor's degree. So could be that's a roadblock to many people. Yeah, for sure. And I think a big part of it is just the, the diversity of commercial property, just because there's so many different types of commercial property. Right. You got multifamily, you got office, you got land, you got shopping centers, you got multi-story office buildings. So there's a lot more in it. There's, it's a lot more to the process than just, you know, a, a three bed, one bath ranch style, right. no basement residential property, which again, I mean, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, there's differences uh, between the two. So could you kind of explain what a commercial appraisal is uh, to those of the, us in the audience? Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess I'll start by residential because commercial is above that. So residential is mainly, there's two parts to every appraisal process. The first one is the appraiser has to go down and actually, you know, do an inspection, which is anywhere between a half hour and an hour and a half, I guess, depending on the property. Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. So he would want to see the, let's say for it's a, if it's a residential house, you have to measure, and then you have to also see how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, the kitchen, you know, the condition, if there's a basement, if it's finished. So with the residential report, that's a big part. The, the inspection is a very big part of the appraisal. And then the other half of the appraisal report is of the appraisal uh, assignment is to look at um, sale comps. Sale comps are what sold in the area. So let's say on Avenue, you know, Avenue A, let's say you're appraising a, a, one, fam a one single family home, um, you would look within a very close radius um, other, for other homes that sold, you know, within a year or two. Um, it depends on the geographic location. In Brooklyn, let's say, every, you know, every block has a lot of transactions every year, so it's easier. Um, in other, you know, in New Jersey, it's harder to find, you know, sales, which is similar sales were sold recently. Um, so again, then you, you take those homes and you adjust them to get a sale, to get a value for, for the subject. Um, right. So with residential, again, it's a form, like I said, and the main approach to value, the way you get the value is what owners, what other buyers bought other similar homes for. And that's a good indicator of the value for the residential property. Um, with commercial, it's, it's uh, very different. There's, first of all, there's another approach to value that we use. We use, um, it's called income approach. Since most people buying a commercial property is for investment purposes, so the main thing they want to know is what, what their value is, what their cash on cash, you know? So it's called income approach. Basically, you take the rent of, let's say, for example, it's a three-unit three retail property. So what the rent, um, what, what are they getting in rents? And you take off the operating expenses and then you, you use a capitalization rate, which we can talk about later to get to, to get the value of the property. Um, so let me, let me go back to commercial property. So let's say you're appraising a retail property, you would go down, you inspect the units. It's sometimes it's hard to get into all the units. You know, if you're doing a 50 unit apartment building, you're not getting into all the units. So, you try to get a you know a feel of of the property, what condition it is, and um, condition is a big a big a big point in, in the value. You know, we don't really we don't have like so many levels in, in in condition. It's mainly you know below average or fear. 
to average and good and maybe excellent brand new. Um, I actually saw a post on LinkedIn, which was funny. Somebody, uh, somebody ordered towels for their swimming pool to like match the logo of the complex, apartment complex, because the appraiser was coming the next day. So I don't know if that, that provides value, but um, it's definitely good to have a neat complex so the appraiser could get around and, and feel what, what the property is all about. But having matching towels won't add value necessarily to, to the property. Um, any questions so far on this, on the inspection? No, no yeah. I think it's, I think it's great. I mean, making that distinction between, you know, the sales approach to the income approach is, is quite right. important. And I think you also may also have uh, another one, which is the cost approach. Yeah, right. You guys use a lot of that as far as the analysis is concerned. Well, I'll get to that soon. Right. So yeah, you know, the sales approaches, again, let's say with retail properties taking similar, let's say shopping centers who sold, which sold in the immediate area. Again, with commercial, the radius is not as important because in, if, if you have a 100,000 square foot shopping center in, in Louisville, you may not find, you may use one comp that's sold there, but you may have to go to a neighboring town, you know, to, <coughs> to get three or four sales like we like to use. Um, again, they have to be closed sales. So actually what people paid for the sales. Um, some appraisers like to stick in an active, you know, an active listing in the approach just to see, you know, the actual current, uh, some appraisers actually use it, you know, um, they adjust, let's say 10% down or 5% down for list to sale ratio. And they come at and they use it as a value. Some appraisers say that that's a top meaning you use the closed sales to come out to a price, a price, but it's not going to be, the value won't be above the active because why would a buyer go to your property over that property? Um, right. Again, so let's say with retail, again, we're looking at neighboring similar shopping centers to get, provide a value for the subject property. So they definitely have differences, right? The least differences, the better, but you're definitely going to have to, um, going to have to adjust for differences. So for example, let's say visibility, if one shopping center has better visibility and if the subject has, let's say good visibility and on a corner and a comparable sale that you're using has inferior um, um, visibility, you would, adjust the, you would adjust a certain percentage upwards to, to make it comparable, similar to the sale. <coughs> so so it, it does, it does mm -hmm. seem a lot like a, like a nuance type thing where you just kind of feel it out over time. Whereas, you know, in the, in the residential space, it's a little bit more, it's a little easier in the sense that you have a lot more comps available so that the, the, the differences between what the sales price was and the subject property is it's a little bit easier to estimate exactly what's going on as far as, you know, what does an additional bedroom give you or an additional right. bathroom give you? Right. Whereas on the commercial side, it seems like, you know, you're going to have a lot more gray area as far as, okay, well, this one has more visibility than this one. We're going to have to adjust it accordingly. And usually that means five, 10%, whatever. Right. Else, so. right. Again, there are some appraisers who, or it depends if you're actually, if you're giving testimony in court, then you may have to, you may have to provide um, proof of the adjustment. For example, let's say visibility adjustment, go back to that one. If you're adjusting 5%, you, you would need to show that a corner versus an interior parcel is 5% difference, which is very hard. And um, maybe some appraisers, some appraisers do that, some appraisers don't, you know? Um, let's say a market condition, for example, if, 
a comp sold, let's say pre-COVID and after COVID, somebody will, you will adjust for it, you know? <coughs> Definitely. Um, again, right. So you're basically adjusting for characteristics, which um, provide value and that asset class, you're going to adjust and see which is better and which is worse. So that the characteristics also play a role in the income approach. Again, in the income approach, you're looking at the rent. So we have to, first of all, the rent also depends on all these positive or negative attributes, you know, characteristics of the property. So the characteristics play a role in all the approaches to, to conclude on the value. Definitely. Right. Well, that's some great advice. Yeah. So as far as the commercial appraisal side goes, how do banks or lending institutions really get in contact with you? Right. I mean, obviously they they're dealing with business clients and then they may get a property that, you know, that they're interested in buying this property. How do you get involved in the transaction as far as uh, the commercial appraisal is concerned? Right. So um, as we discussed before the, before we went live, the um, banks are one of the, uh, one of the users of an appraiser. Again, they're lending money on a property and they want to know, if they have, if it forecloses, if they get, they take over their property, they could sell it and get their money back. So banks, for banks, um, you have to be on their approved appraiser list, meaning the borrower typically doesn't doesn't pick the appraiser, and it, they don't even want you to know the the appraiser. It's even worse because they want to make sure the value is you know impartial. So you have to, I guess, appraisers reach out to banks and get on their approved list, and then. The, the bank to some banks send out to you know many appraisers to bid on it on the job and some are, some banks pick three and and you know you bid on against three people but I'm sure there's different banks that have different policies but the main thing is typically you have to get it beyond the banks approved the appraisal list in order to to um, to get work from them um, like I said there's other users of the appraisers appraisal right so um, hard money lending, right? So they, they're not as strict or they're not as corporate as banks. You don't have to get on their approved appraiser list. And then there is for estate uh, purposes. If somebody dies and they leave over, let's say 10 properties, which they have to pay estate tax. So an attorney or the owner could pick, in this case, the owner could pick actually, and, um, and you value the building uh, for estate purposes. Also before there are people that, that give their let's say 10 buildings, they put it into a trust before they die. It's called gift tax. Um, there are some positive, you know, uh, reasons to uh, do it before you die. And uh, so they also hire the appraiser. So typically that, if you have relationships with owners, that's also for, for when they lend, when they borrow money, the, the, the owner can't really pick you. But if they do gift tax, then they could, uh, you know, then they could hire you. For sure. So really, it's it's the the your your the people who are soliciting your services are primarily banks uh, that are lending on commercial buildings. Then you're also dealing with owners of commercial properties that just have an interest in knowing what their actual appraised value of that particular property is. And then also related to unfortunately the state tax, where right. you're dealing with people who have passed away. And uh, right, typically ninety nine percent actually, when somebody calls me to say I want an appraisal just to know the value of the building. 99.9% they never hire us because they have to pay a considerable amount of money. It's sure. anywhere between 1800 and 10,000, you know, depending on the building um, for commercial appraisal. And if you don't need it, I, would, I, I recommend they talk to a broker who knows the broker doesn't have to support or write a whole 
uh, you know, report on it. However, the broker, a broker who's familiar in the area knows, you know, you know, knows the value. It could also be called a broker, uh, broker opinion value. So, yeah, BPO yeah, is what right. we'd call it. Yeah, and, right. and we've, we've had that before where people reach out to us and they're just interested in knowing what their property could be worth. Uh, but if I've, I've had some people in the past that have said, well, you know, I'm going to talk to an appraiser and see if I can right. get this appraised. And I'm like, well, if you want to pay the yeah, right, right. 2,500 bucks or right. however much it's going to cost right. you to do it, then feel free. It's not. Again, a broker's opinion doesn't have to like provide all the, the legal stuff we have to provide in the report, support, et cetera. So, um, it, it's not a set value on the property. You're essentially just giving them an idea of what it could be worth. You know, you, you there's no, it's not a legal document or anything. Right, along right. Those but lines. appraisal has a lot of laws that you have to yeah. follow. Use that, you know. Um, there's actually one more interesting uh, client uh, with Section Eight housing. There are probably more that I don't know of, but if somebody has a Section Eight building, there's two. There's a contract where one of the contracts that they could have with the government, the owner, is that every few years they estimate the market rent in that neighborhood, and then Section Eight will pay them. So how it works is the owner hires an appraiser to, to provide a rent comparable study. And if the appraiser is below a, a certain threshold, then they just accept it and Section 8 pays that rent. If it's above, then Section 8 will hire an appraiser and they would meet a middle. I don't know exactly how they compromise, but there's, there's, there could be two appraisers um, on each building. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I didn't know that was something that was right. That was occurring. And that's awesome. All right. So could you walk us through the valuation process of a property? So let's say as an example, let's take, let's take a three-story office building, um, you know, in, in, in a local in New Jersey, for example, how would you approach that process of valuing that building? Right. Um, yeah. So first of all, the appraiser will go down to inspect the property. So he would try to get into all, you know, all three stories and all the units. So let's say there's one unit per, per, per floor. Um, yeah, he would look at condition. He would look at parking. He or she would look at parking. Um, obviously, office, you know, New Jersey, usually there's parking there. Um, for office, it's important to know if there's elevators, you know, to the second and third floor. I'm um, just thinking some other important aspects to office. Visibility is less, you know, for office if it's not service-based. Um, again, medical, you would see if it's medical or regular general office. Um, again, even if it's medical office, you still, medical office is a little higher than, than regular office due to the build-out. Um, yeah, you would check out, you would look at the roof, what the condition of the roof is and, and the basement, the mechanicals, the, the electricity, you know. And so that's that's the first step. The first step is to look at the to inspect the property. Then you go back to the office and you, you know, you do the market research of the, of let's say New Jersey, central Jersey market, right? So you would pull in all these reports from, you know, Seabury, Cushman Wakefield, all the, and also there are some more local uh, brokerages who have, um, who have market reports, you know, on office market in central Jersey. Um, additionally, a lot of appraisers actually call brokers um, to speak with them just to get, you know, a feeling of the past few months, what's going on in the office market. Um, okay, so then you put that all in the report. So the front end of a report is basically the pictures. Oh, big point. Yeah, you take a lot of pictures of the property. So it's pictures, it's the description of the property, it's description of the site. You pull in the flood map, the tax map, the zoning, 
and um, and then also description of the neighborhood of you know let's say Essex County or something in New Jersey you you, you describe the employment the the income the income the average income household the population so that's the front end then once you get to there then you do the market analysis you put in all, all the uh, the uh, appraisers have different orders but this is how I do it then I'd go to the market um, analysis where I would pull in all the, the market reports um, and conclude on you know where it's going where is the market going you know occupancy and rental rates etc then you do the the three approaches to value so we skipped the cost approach before the cost approach basically is you take it's uh, how much would an investor pay to, to build this, right? And then basically that's the value. So you need land comparables. So let's say this office building is on uh, uh, one acre of land. So you would you first value the land, right? So you get three comparable sales that of land. Then you actually there's different methods, but one method is you how much it costs to build. So there's different programs, you know, for it, you know, to see how much you build. So in a new construction, you would probably do um, the cost approach, or if let's say um, some banks lend on construction loans, so it's not even built yet. So you would value it the cost approach when it's built. However, let's say if the building's five years old or ten years old, you have to deduct the depreciation. So since that's very hard to do, most appraisers don't do cost approach um, on a building that's over a couple of years old. So, you know, 99% of my, of my jobs don't have cost approaches in it. So I'm just going to, right? So you, you just say that and you don't do the cost approach. Fine. So sales approach. So let's say we're looking at an office building in Jersey. So we, there's programs, either CoStar or MLS, there's different programs. Most, most creators have CoStar that you could do a radius search for office buildings. You know, you put in whatever you want. Let's say it's 10,000, it's 20,000 square foot office. You could put it in from 10,000 to 40,000. You have to be a little broad with your range because you're not going to get exact what you want, you know? And then you put a radius. Again, in, in New York City, if you had an office building in Brooklyn, you're going to find office buildings in the five miles that's old. However, in Jersey, different, different states, you have to broaden your, your search. Um, okay, again, so then you, you put in your three, let's say three to four comps. You found three sales. So, you, you first, you, 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 now you're comparing them to the subject and you're gonna adjust, you don't adjust the subject, you adjust the comparables to the subject. So you're gonna adjust for you know, condition, for parking ratio, for elevator, if it's medical or non-medical, and you're gonna get a price per square foot, you know, concluded price per square foot, a range of the four. And um, you're gonna conclude on one, I guess one price per square foot for the subject that will be based on which comps are the best. So you'll wait, it'll be a weighted average basically um, of which are the best. You know, if you have one comparable right next door, that will probably get the most weight than something in a different town. So then you apply that to the square footage of the subject to conclude on the subjects. Um, yeah, just to add, if there's a vacant unit, you may, you may deduct after, um, you know, uh, a, a, rent, uh, a rent loss, you know, till they lease it up. Um, or if there's, let's say, the first, something that needs to be fixed right away, you may deduct it to the final value. Um, again, it's important to note that the sales approach doesn't, as you see, we didn't compare the income of the rents, of the, of the, of the comparables. That's one of the main issues with the sales approach is you're just taking it 
while the buyers of those comparables looked at the income, you're just looking at the price per square foot without any income. So some appraisers get, you know, obtain the, you know, the income of the comps, but it's pretty hard to do. So that's why it's given less weight in the final value and the income approach is, is given the most weight. Um, any questions still here? How much? No, I mean, I, I think it's phenomenal, phenomenal information, really, because again, it 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 illuminates a little bit more as right. far as how we approach that that particular process. Because you're right, I mean, a lot of times, in particular, when you're talking about markets that aren't necessarily in New York City, that is a very densely populated yeah. market, you're probably not going to find comparable properties that are similar to yours within a five, ten, fifteen mile radius. And so, broadening that radius as far as your your comparables, uh, that's going to give you completely different markets, essentially, right. um, in a lot in a lot of different places. And so, also a specialty, like a special use. For example, I did a fire station once, you know, um, or a gas station. So a gas station actually uses a cost approach because there's usually no income. So you want to use two approaches typically. Besides for land, land. If you do a land value of an empty building, an empty or if there's a small building on a huge property where there will be the, 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 the values in the land, the highest and best use of the value of the land, um, that's one approach to land value. I actually, I skipped something um, that before you actually value the property, you have to, there is some, re, there's some research that you have to do to, to figure out what's the highest and best use of the property. So it's weird because it's tied to the approaches to value but you need to know it before you actually do all your research, you know? So maybe you'll, if, if it's complicated to know like what, if it, if the existing use is the highest and best use or something else, you could speak to brokers and get like a, a feeling of what, um, or do a quick analysis of let's say both values and then, and then, and then continue on the more in depth value of, of whatever you decided is the highest and best use. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We see that sometimes with, uh, properties that are older and they have like a, right. a building on site that's not necessarily very functional and the zoning for that particular land is such that a new use that is generally either retail related could justify a higher price for per, for the land right. so sometimes brokers will market these these parcels with a building on it where the the logic is they'll knock down the building you know and build a new structure on top of it and generally that's marketed at a different value right sure it's uh, Right. Yeah, it's a, it would be marketed as a development site based on the zoning itself. Um, and right. so that that can be justified within an appraisal value just because it's, you know, it's it's marketed, it's being marketed as a XYZ. Uh, right. I actually just did a, a appraisal on a, um, it was like 70, it was uh, like 50,000 square foot lot with a 20,000 square foot one story or one and a half story office slash industrial in the heart of Brooklyn where if you, it was a residential zoning where you could build like five, six stories. So it was 150,000 square foot buildable. So obviously the highest and best use is, is the residential, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's to build. Um, we had a question. I just didn't see it. Oh yeah. We will, we'll actually get to the questions right oh, after okay. this. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I just want to make sure, I want to make sure that we get through the, the yeah. So going to the income approach. So after you get, you know, the cost approach, if you do it and you get the sales approach, um, you look at the income. Again, the income is the most important part to any investment property because that's what, you know, provides, that's what, um, you know, is given the most way to determine the value. So in our example of the office, you have three rents, three units that are paying rent, you know, if it's not vacant. So depending on the leases, um, if they're, 
you know, one to three year leases, you want to make sure that an investor looking at this property, if the rents are above market or below market, if the rents are above market, he will not necessarily, you know, look at the rent that's actual to provide the value because we're looking at the property for 20 years, you know? So um, when they vacate, can I replace them with the same rent or is less? So again, for let's say the, so one way, one way, so you basically look for rent comps. We're not done the appraisal yet, <laughs> a lot more work to do. Mm-hmm. You have to actually provide, you know, three to four similar rent comparables of office buildings. Um, and you also, so to provide a, a, a rental rate for this property. So again, some appraisers <coughs> will adjust. Let's say they're paying $20 a square foot here. And I see a neighboring pro- property pays 22. So some people, some appraisers adjust it. I haven't, usually I don't adjust it because it's very nitty gritty, you know, adjusting the rental rate. Um, I usually give a bunch of rental rates and, and see if it falls in the range based on, on, on the condition. The same attributes that we said in the sales approach matter, they matter in rental and renting also, you know? Um, again, the condition of the roof may not affect the tenants, so it won't affect the rental rate, but most of the characteristics that affected the sales approach would affect um, the rent as well. So if the, rent, if the rents are within range, then you probably would use you know, the rents, the active rents, the current contract rents. Um, and then you add them up and get a price, um, you get a, a potential gross income. Um, again, if the rents are below or above, so appraisers usually do a discounted cash flow analysis, which is, you know, um, to, and it, for example, let's say the rents are $30 a square foot here, but everywhere else is 20. So they would apply a $20 a square foot rent for the subject. And, and, uh, and then get the value of the $10 every year for the next, you know, five years, the current, the current the value of that $10 and add it to the final value. Meaning an investor who comes in is valuing it as $20 a square foot. However, he's going to get cash for $10. So how much is he willing to pay now for those extra $10 for the next five years, basically? So that's, that's, that's added after. Um, again, most appraisers hope that they don't have to do that because it's just more work and more unknown, you know? So you just rather, you hope that your rents are within and everything's normal, you know? So after you get your potential gross income, you, you may not be done your potential gross income because you have to see, are any tenants reimbursing the landlord for, for taxes or for, you know, rent, water, sewer, or electricity. Um, if they don't have their own meters, then typically banks like to see, meaning there's, you could just, you don't, you don't have to take any expense for water if the, if the tenants are paying the landlord. But most banks like to see how it's going in, you know, meaning the landlord is paying the water sewer and you're reimbursing him. So they, you, they want to do it like, they want it to be shown the way it really is. So you got your rent, then you do any reimbursements and you get your total potential gross income. Um, then you take a vacancy and collection loss, which is vacancy is if somebody actually leaves or goes bankrupt, you know, you want to, you want to take that into account. So typically in the market analysis section that we mentioned, you would have some reports, which states uh, what the, you know, different reports, what are the, mark uh, the vacancy rates in that area. You could talk to brokers as well, because again, you have to remember some of the, let's say central Jersey or, you know, central Florida, there are different, it's, it's talking about a large uh, area. Specific submarkets will have uh, less or more vacancy. So it's good to talk to brokers to get that submarket vacancy rate. 
Um, collection loss also, especially now during COVID, collection loss, a lot of tenants weren't paying. So you always had that, some tenants not paying. So that's why we take into account the leaks and the collection loss. Um, then we get to the, the effective gross income line. And then after that, you deduct all the expenses, taxes, water, sewer, fuel, electric, common area, maintenance, and um, what else? And miscellaneous and repairs and maintenance and legal. So everybody has their own lines, you know, reserves. Every owner takes away, takes off some reserves just in case, you know, for the unknown expense, you know, the roof or, uh, or the hot water heater, et cetera. So you get your operating, you get your um, NOI, your net operating income that um, that's basically after all the expenses. That's what the, the, the owner takes home, you know, before the mortgage. And um, so there's something called, a, then you cap it, the capitalization rate. Capitalization rate takes, a, um, is a rate which translates the income into value. So I'm sure you know it, you could, I'm sure you could speak about this. So capitalization rate is made up of a few points. Some parts are the risk, you know, the value add, the characteristics that we said make a difference between the sales approach and income would also apply here because a, dilapidated, uh, a, a building in bad condition versus a building in good condition will get a, you know, a higher cap rate. Um, so basically you translate the income into value and that's your value uh, from the income approach. That was a long speech. Okay. And if anybody has any questions on that, we could no. look after. No, it's great. It's great question. Great, uh, great advice on that front. As far as the yeah, the income approaches, you're trying to get an understanding of what the total income is, and that generally is, consists of the rents. And then what he was referencing was something uh, either common area maintenance, where you're maintaining some of the exterior and sometimes interior parts of the of the facility. Sometimes that includes water. Sometimes that includes electric, depending on. Yeah, everybody has their own, right? Yeah, everyone has their own. Each building is very unique. Right. So obviously, what's included in the cam is going to be very unique to that particular building. And similar logic is is net charges. So net charges would be you know taxes, insurance, general maintenance of the facility. So right, if you, six, you have a, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it just, it just depends on the, the types of buildings and how they, they use the verbiage, but that verbiage is very um, it's kind of universal within the commercial uh, field. Um, you, yeah. you have either net charges or cam expenses, et cetera. Uh, so that was what he was referencing. And then as far as the cap rates concerned, I think you're spot on. I mean, it's going to be different in every market. It's just based on what an investor is willing to pay for a certain dollar in value for uh, right. Income. So certain, uh, the way we conclude on the cap rate is, you know, you have some market reports. Like I said, the market reports are very important. You have, let's say, CoStar's market report. You have different, you know, then you actually could, you know, you could put a, a sample of certain, of, of similar sales with their cap rate to, to show, you know, what it is. And you could read the subject how, where it should be in that, in that range. Um, yeah, and then after you have your all your approaches, you it's called reconciliation. You actually go about saying where should we put our our, our subject. Um, on let's say an industrial, a small industrial property where it may not it may be for owner occupied use, you know, for owner user. There you could give equal weight, even though it's a commercial property. Some people give equal weight to the commercial to the income approach and the sales approach. Um, whereas a forty unit building, for sure, you'll give most weight to the to the income. Yeah, it's just just because it's producing the income. That that the reason why they're yeah. buying it to begin with is because it's an income producing property. Right. Right. Versus with owner occupied properties, the reason they're using it is to occupy it for their business use. So right. it'd be slightly different. Right. Cool, man. That's great. Yeah, like, so right. go ahead. No, I like to say that broker 
the way a broker comes to value and the appraiser is not much different. Mm -hmm. I just feel that the way we have to report it is very different. And also that since we have to report it a certain way, it can change somewhat of the value because it has to be really, really supportable, you know? Oh yeah, because again, you're you're being held to the standard, right? right? Because in our case, I could I could give you an idea of what your property may be worth, but you know, you can't you can't come to me and say, right. "Well, you right. told me my building was worth X Y Z." Whereas now, if they come to an appraiser because you know you you've overvalued or undervalued or whatever the property, that obviously can you know be something that that, that right. that's not. So you just got to be very. I mean, it's a lot more meticulous as far as the the, the process of valuations right. concerned. So. That's awesome. So what are some of the common pitfalls you see buyers and sellers make uh, pertaining to the appraisal process? All right. So again, I think they're at the time they, they ordered their appraisal, there's not much to do in terms of value. So they can't really mess up a value or, you know, or add value really. It's what it, whatever it is. Um, but I would say that, as you said, since, during a transaction, you know, they really want it very quick. And then I've had people that, you know, they ask her so quickly. And when I call them, they don't even answer and it's hard to get an inspection. So, um, you know, I think if you want your appraisal to, you know, to be expedited and actually, you know, you want to make your closing date, then act, then, you know, make sure the appraiser gets what he needs, let it make sure he, you know, somebody can meet him by the property. And also all the documents, for example, we ask for the rent roll. And we also ask from the, from the seller, really, the buyer doesn't, I mean, the buyer may have it, but um, we asked them for, for three years operating expenses, just to, to see, um, I actually skipped that part that we analyze the operating expenses of the subject, but we definitely also compare it to comps. Again, you need also operating expense comps. So to make sure that it's not, you know, way low or way high, you know, um, again, so if you provide the documents, you know, right away, the appraiser could, could meet his deadline and actually, uh, you know, get it to you. Um, if you're out of town and you can't come, there will be delayed a week, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and like, like we were saying offline, we were, we were mentioning how there is quite a so shortage of commercial appraisals and appraisers. And I'm assuming it's similar in, in your, in your area yeah, where, you know, yeah. a big part of, of the process, even the due diligence process is held up because of the appraiser, not necessarily because it's their fault. It's just, there's less people out there. And then, like you said, the, the information is not provided readily quickly all the time right, right. especially when you're dealing with people who you know aren't or mom and pop shops that haven't done you know financials very meticulously over a period of time that can be obviously a, right. a, a actually, slow the process right i actually remember another thing um a lot of times let's say with a bank the borrower who applied for the loan can say different things about the property which aren't really true meaning very not true and that will and then the appraiser goes there and sees, you know, you said it's office building, it's retail building. And, uh, and that could also hold because then you have to tell the bank that it's different and they put it on hold. And then with banks and corporate, you know, it takes time to get back on. So that can also uh, affect the, um, the timeline. For sure. So really just being upfront and honest at all times, being responsive and, you know, just making sure you provide all the documentation you need. Uh, I think right, that's right. that's good advice all yeah. around as far as the buyers and sellers are concerned. So, right. yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I know. I don't know. I don't think this is one one of the questions <laughs> that you yeah. mentioned, but uh, I actually had a couple of funny stories. Not funny stories. Like uh, interesting appraisal inspections. Do you mind if I cut it? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So me and my, 
basically, like I mentioned, the first two and a half years, you have to be trained by somebody. Um, they don't always, it's called a trainee and a, 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 I even forgot what it's called, a mentor. So um, the, they, in the beginning, they have to go with you to inspection as well because they teach you the ins and outs of the inspection. Once you're, you're, you're a competent doing yourself, I don't, they don't, it depends on the state, but you don't necessarily have to, they don't have to come with you. So anyway, I was with my, you know, my, um, my employer and we, we actually got locked into a room and we couldn't get out and we didn't have phone and we were knocking and they didn't answer basically. So I actually called the neighboring, there was a door to the neighboring parcel. So I actually called, I had, I couldn't get their number. I called my wife to call that store to open the door for us. So that was one scary story. Um, yeah, another one, actually, my father had it. He went up to a condo in New York City and a dog actually came. It was an empty building. The doorman let him in. A dog, a German shepherd actually almost came out. And I guess he told the dog, like, you go in. And the dog, like, listen, I went in. And that was, he was saved, I guess. <laughs> That's crazy. Okay. I can only imagine. I can only imagine some of the stories, in particular, some of these buildings that you know have been vacant for a while. I can only imagine, you know, even even being just being careful in those right. in those types right. of environments. Right. So, that's awesome. So, I guess we'll we'll dive into the next one, which is really what what are some of the best resources if people want to learn a little bit more about you know the appraisal process. What are some of the best resources they can reference uh, as as it pertains to commercial appraisals? Right, there's uh, so similar to like national, you know, realtors or something. Mm -hmm. There is something, uh, in, uh, organization called uh, Appraisal Institute, which they have uh, offices all over the country and they advocate for appraisal appraisers and also provide education. Um, they actually have a designation program where you could, you know, get a higher designation. Um, and they, they just have a lot of good resources for appraisers. You know, they have webinars and they have. And again, like I said, each state, even in New Jersey, they have, they have two, they have two uh, offices. They have two, uh, you know, you're, when you're a member of them, you, you go to like dinners and you go to networking events. So um, they have a job board. So definitely that's, a, that's the first resource you should go to. Um, and then there's a website called Appraiser Forum where appraisers just talk about everything. So you go there and get some news. That's awesome. Yeah, those, those are some two, two great resources. Yeah, as the far third, as uh, third resource is... Uh, you know, appraisers, like you mentioned, there's a shortage. It's a lot of the appraisers are older and they really love their profession. Like they, they, they work on it for very long. So if you call an older appraiser, I'm sure they'll talk, they'll talk about it for a long time with you. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. No, that, that, that's some great advice. And I really do appreciate you sharing that information with us. So as far as the prepared questions, that's kind of what I had for you right now. I just want yeah, to be sure. able to open it up for Q and a, uh, for everyone uh, in the audience. And then you guys who are watching on Facebook, feel free to type in the, the box as well and we'll get to you uh, shortly. So Don had a question. Actually, no, I think Rodney, sorry. I think he was ahead of us. Uh, oh, he, will you be able to get a copy of this recording? Yes, you will be able to. We are filming this as well. It'll be on, on the YouTube channel. I will be sending it out to all the attendees and really the, the email list for commercial, the CRE 101 meetup uh, tomorrow. So you'll be able to have that ready to go and you can check it out. All right. So Don, she asks, how do you factor value adjustment due to vacancy? That's a good question. Right. So again, there's the vacancy in the subject. Um, typically, again, it depends if, if it's, if it could be rented within, you know, in New York city, 
pre-COVID, let's say a real nice, a regular building. And, you know, the lease up is one or two months for a 40 unit building for, let's say one unit's vacant. You're not necessarily going to take, um, you know, a special, you know, you're not going to deduct a rent loss. We always take a vacancy and collection loss, meaning you find some brokers actually in their OM, they say, you know, it's 100%, uh, it, uh, they use the income that's there, but they don't take a factor for like, let's say, a vacancy and collection loss. Appraisers, all appraisers do that. Um, again, maybe because we have to be a little more conservative. So even if it's 100% occupied, we are going to take the normal vacancy rate, you know, um, again, we're going to see how it applies to our subject, but for example, if office vacancy rate is, you know, seven to 10% in New Jersey or seven to 12%, you know, if the subject is 100% occupied, you may take 7% if it's a good building. So that's, you know, before the, before you get your income. Um, I think your question is if you actually have a vacant space in a, let's say a shopping center, you have a, a 10,000 square foot vacant space, which is, you're having a hard time uh, renting it. Um, a lot of appraisers would deduct Again, some appraisers may add some percent in that original vacancy and collection loss line. Instead of, let's say, seven, they'll do nine or eight or nine. Um, but a lot of appraisers will, let's say, when they get their final value in each approach. So let's say the income approach, the value was $2 million, And um, this space, the rental rate, the rental, uh, the monthly rent is 2000 and you think, it, so you, you take a rent loss you, and you, you'll, you think that it could get rented in three months. If it's properly marketed, you think it could get rented in three months, you'll deduct $6,000 at the end. Because, and then also you take, um, you know, a broker fee, ask her, yeah, so they go off. So again, you're not, you're gonna count, wait, I'm sorry, I didn't mention this. Let's say you have, let's say a three, back to our office space, I'm sorry. If you have a vacant unit, we always apply market rent to the vacant unit. It's different than actually investors. Investors, they call that value add. They'll apply, they'll use their income that's there and cap it, and then the rest will be value add. However, with appraisers, we always add um, um, a market rent to the vacant space. That's why after, when we get our final value, we will deduct how long it will take to get to there, the rent loss. And in owner-occupied spaces also, if you have a warehouse that's owner-occupied and the bank wants to know the value, we will apply a market rent to the space. I didn't mention that before. Sorry. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And, and again, that's you have those two approaches. If it's owner occupied, you probably put more weight. There, there right. there's more right. weight on the sales side than right. it is maybe the income side. But part of the analysis for both the sales and income with the income side, you're you're looking at what's the what would if I were to buy this as an investment property, what would the value be based right. on market rents in right. the area? Yeah. That's, that's um, yes, I hope I answered the question that we, we apply market rent to the property, to the vacant unit, and then many appraisers will deduct at the end, you know, how many months rent loss and or concessions, you know, what we have to give to get the space rented at what we applied at the market rent that we applied, you know? Yeah, no. And, and if you haven't noticed at this point, it is, it is an art and a science, you know, it's, it's kind of a blend of the two where, you know, the calculations are definitely science, but where you calculate, okay, what's the vacancy rate to apply? You know, what's the, you know, what's the current market rents, what's et cetera, et cetera. That's a lot more of the art, right? You've, you've kind of done it for quite some time and you kind of get a feel, you talk to brokers, you talk to, you know, different people in the, in the business to kind of get a feel for all these different numbers. Uh, and again, it's not an exact science, but again, you've do it, you do it enough and 
you start getting to a point where you can, I'm, I'm assuming at this point you feel pretty comfortable in, especially in particular markets. I feel like you, you definitely feel, uh, yeah. Right, let me check, uh, let me check Facebook as well. So he wants, uh, he wants to hear on the gas. Uh, so could you elaborate a little bit on the gas station example? I think he was referencing, uh, Randy was referencing on Facebook. Mm. Yeah. So the gas station, Again, gas stations typically aren't rented, you know, so there's no income over there. If they have a, if they have a convenience store, then maybe it's a little different. Um, but again, in my in the market that I am in, typically appraisers will do. Um, again, we want to we don't want to just do one approach to value, so we will do the cost approach and the income approach. I'm sorry, and the sales approach. So we'll get the second approach is a sales approach. We'll get similar gas stations were sold in the area. And again, each asset class has their own characteristics which provide value and which take away from value. So a gas station, the visibility will be, you know, large, the, the, you know, the signs, you know, the, do they have a convenience store? You know, cause when you're driving on the highway and you have two gas stations, one has a 7-Eleven or why are you gonna go there? You know, or one has a bathroom, you're gonna go there. So, um, also, how, right? So then, I guess, how many stations do they have? Uh, you know, um, a car wash, etc. So that's in the sales approach. In the <coughs> in the cost approach, you're going to get land. You get land value, similar to all types of cost approach. And again, you're going to figure out how much it costs to build this. So you're going to look at the storage, the tanks under. What type of tanks are they? They each have different value. Uh, what size? You're going to look. How many, um, does it have a canopy over it? You know, that, that costs money to build. So, so you, you give value for that. You're gonna give value for how many pumps and how many, uh, you know, how many islands they have. If they have like a, where the, where the person who's pumping the gas could sit in, or do they have there, do they have, you know? So you basically value the, you basically value piece by piece how much it will cost to build, and then you'll take a depreciation. If it's five years old, you take a less of a depreciation. If it's 20 years old, you take more of a depreciation. Again, that approach is also hard because the depreciation is hard to, to, to figure out, you know? Yeah, for sure. So really what you're saying is that you, you, you have the three different approaches that you use, the sales approach, the income approach, and the cost approach. And each, each method of, of valuing that commercial property requires you to perform certain things. With the sales approach, you look at comparables in the area, and then you add or subtract depending on the characteristics of that particular property. Obviously, if it's a retail property, you're going to have put a higher weight on visibility, traffic counts, et cetera. If it's an Finger, office building. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's going to have a different weight depending on what type of property it is. On the income approach, it's just based on the income produced by the property and cap rates of the area. And then on the cost approach is how much does it cost to build all the components of that particular minus property. Right. Minus With the land, land, the cost, and then the minus depreciation, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. And yeah. So that, 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 that applies across the spectrum as far as the, the type of commercial property. Correct. That's awesome. Okay. So I'm just checking on Facebook as well. If you guys have any other questions in the chat box. Oh, what? All right. So he, uh, Don asks, what are your resource? What's your resource for component costs? So how would you know how much a pump costs, for example, and in, in, in the, in the, in the example that you just provided. Yeah, so at a gas station, I would use Marshall and Swift. They, their, their cost, uh, 
they show you the cost of each thing. Um, again, if I'm if I'm actually appraising a a new building, which where they have the plans, they have the construction, the cost on hand, I would do, do both. I would use Marshall and Swift, make a grid for Marshall and Swift, and then I would also use the actual, you know, construction cost, um, and probably give more weight to the actual. But then again, if I'm doing a, if I'm appraising a building that's going to be built, so I, again, I also have the construction estimate, then I may not give as much um, weight to the estimate as I would if it was, if it was already built, but um, I would use both and somewhere come in the middle. Um, with Marshall and Swift, they actually, um, they have costs for the whole United States, but then they actually, then they have like a, a ratio or like a rate to apply depending on the market you're in. Because I guess it depends the cost. Oh, yeah. Where you are, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah, and, and I'll even say this, with, with construction costs rising as much as they are, a lot of people are rethinking whether or not it's worth it in, in a lot of situations to build. So that's obviously bringing more people into the buyers, on uh, buying of, of actual existing right. properties. And so that affects cap rates, right? Because if people are willing to pay less or pay more for a building, that's going to compress cap rates. Right. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's a very it's 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 an economic it's it's economics 100. Right. So it's right. it's very interesting, and I'm sure that affects your the way you appraise a property, right? If obviously if cap rates get compressed because of you know we're in a low interest rate environment, there's a lot of money in the in the in the economy right now. I'm assuming that also affects how you value income producing property in particular. Right. If, if people yeah. want, if there's more of a demand and the prices are dropping. And then the, and, the, and the, I'm sorry, the prices are increasing and the cap rates are dropping, then yeah, that would affect the, uh, the market. Typically, I don't, you know, just by that statement, I probably won't, it won't change. I probably would want to see actual results changing and then, then applying it, you know? Sure. Great advice. Awesome. Check Facebook real quick. Any other questions you guys have? All right. Awesome. I think I think you answered all the questions. So I mean, okay. and if I didn't, then anybody could you know reach out to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask actually. Could 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 you tell how, us how people can reach out to you? Uh, and I will include all this if you're watching this on YouTube. If you're watching this uh, via podcast or, or listening to this via podcast, we'll be sharing all this contact information in the description as well. So. Yeah. So I just posted my. Uh, I posted my my email. Um, don't ask advice advice to find mentors in your local market oh yeah definitely like i said in order to get licensed you need to have a mentor i guess in any business a mentor is very important so in appraisals they actually make you get a you know a mentor so that, that's um the appraisal institute actually also if you're in a certain program they supply you with a mentor but some people aren't in the program so definitely a mentor is important um yeah, again, my company appraises in New York, New Jersey, and we're getting licensed in Florida. So, uh, but if you need a, any services in anywhere, I'm happy to, you know, put you in touch with the people that I know uh, nationally. Oh, for sure. And for those of you guys who are listening via podcast, his email is ben at superiorvaluation.com. And again, that's going to be in the description uh, section as well. Uh, ben, really appreciate your time. Uh, and yeah, if you guys are listening to this, watching this on YouTube, it will be, uh, on video in perpetuity, feel free to like share and subscribe to this channel. Really appreciate all the support. And then finally, if you're listening to this in a podcast format, feel free to drop a five-star review 
it helps with more and more uh, as far as uh, spreading the message. So hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Appreciate thanks it. guys. Really okay. appreciate all your guys' time. We'll thanks see you guys. So much. Thank you. See ya.